Hello and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, the bi-weekly advice-focused open-air juggling show to Working's Grand Opera. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I am your other host, Isaac Butler. So, June, what have you got for us today? Well, Isaac, I gotta admit, it's a bit of an odd one. So, story time. A couple of Sundays ago, as we tape, I was listening to the morning news on the radio. And as usual, Sunday worship came on right afterward. And typically, I switch it off because I'm, you know, not really a person of faith, so it's not really my interest area. But on this particular Sunday, a woman started talking about the Edinburgh Festival. Hey, I thought that's where I live. And Anna Magnuson was the woman's name, and she was sharing a memory of going to hear a piece of music during the festival 40 years ago. And she set it up by talking about a very specific location, which happened to be a place I'd been just the day before. So I kept listening and I heard a really beautiful and genuinely inspiring story about the joy of great art and especially the power of sharing it with friends or even strangers who are also moved by the art and the performance. So, Mm. Isaac, I wanted to talk about strategies we can employ to find ourselves in supportive shared experiences of art and creativity wherever we live, whatever time of year. Now, Since it was a story about a big arts festival that hooked me, let me start by asking you, have festivals, I'm guessing of theatre or books or anything like that, been part of your life at any point in time? Yes, festivals definitely have. I mean, I live walking distance from the Brooklyn Book Festival. Mm. You know, I love walking around that festival and going to events. Uh, I, of course, have been a panelist at a bunch of different festivals, you know, promoting my own work or whatever. But I don't want to talk about me. That's boring. (laughs) I want to talk instead about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, since you mentioned it. And... You know, from your yurt on (laughs) King Arthur Hill or whatever it's called, you can spy it. It actually plays a very important part in the early days of the relationship that would become my, my marriage. About three months after we started dating, Anne was helping to produce a play. A one-person show that was coincidentally written and performed by friends of mine from college. Total random coincidence. At the Fringe Festival. And so uh, we had been dating for like three months at that point. But, you know, it was already clear it was going to be a serious thing. Mm -hmm. And so I flew out to Edinburgh to help her distribute the publicity materials, which were in this case branded handheld fans because it was so hot and there's no air conditioning in in Scotland all over the city. And... Another friend of mine was the light designer, and so we'd go out drinking after the show. And, you know, I saw one of the greatest things I've actually ever seen, which is the show called All Wear Bowlers, written and performed by uh, Jeff Sobel and Trey Lyford, which you can actually look up on Vimeo and watch right now if you want to. Uh, I got drunk with my American <laughs> friends who were in town for the festival. You know, I just I also have this very vivid memory and maybe you have run into this since you've moved there of attempting to dry my laundry In the vacation rental by owner apartment that we were in, which had one of those European energy efficient dryers. Mm. And I just remember it took 18 hours (laughs) to get my clothes dried. Like I had to wear the same thing two days in a row just because my frigging clothes weren't dried. Yeah, and probably left rust marks on your clothes from the radiators that you actually dried them on, am I right? Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes. So so I just have a lot of vivid, wonderful memories of being jet lagged out of my mind, <laughs> walking around the blazing hot 
Edinburgh streets passing out fans to people. Wow. Well, I tell you what, it would you would not get much traction with fans this year because it has been cold and rainy, which I am not complaining about. But also just wow. I am tempted, tempted harshly to end this episode right now because <laughs> that's all the time we have for this week thank <laughs> exactly. you so much to series producer cameron uh, drews no i'm just but i will soldier on but oh my god what oh, oh all right sorry sorry i'm <laughs> premature premature on my part listeners just forget i did that uh, all right so this year i am trying to figure out the various edinburgh festivals because as you indicated there are actually several happening at the same time but right. In the past, I would say that my most immersive festival experience was SIF, which is the Seattle International Film Festival. It's been about 20 years since I was able to attend, so I can't speak to its current incarnation. But back in the late 90s, early aughts, it was just an amazing orgy of cinema. So the festival itself ran for about a month. But if you were a pass holder, a pass hole, as we were called by uh, most of the non-pass holders, you could not only see as many films as you wanted to over the course of the festival, which runs for about a month, your ticket got you into almost everything. You could also start going to press screenings a couple of weeks before the festival began in earnest. So for a reasonable sum, you could see more than 100 movies in the space of about six weeks. I would take at least a week off to just you know, see movies. And otherwise, I just go all through the weekend or after work. And just generally, it was very different from a normal movie going experience. For those very intense weeks, everything was movies. Figuring out your schedule, getting from cinema to cinema in time to see that movie, figuring out how you could take in any nutrition whatsoever other than popcorn. And you would literally, or at least I would literally dream about movies. And best of all, just hanging out with other people who love cinema, it really was just like dipping yourself into a vat of film. So why am I taking you and our listeners down memory lane this way? Because while I'm not sure I would really enjoy that level of immersion in art for very long, at least not as a consumer... Over a short period, that intensity can be amazingly stimulating. And a lot of that is finding yourself among like-minded people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think it's it's just festivals that can do this, right? Mm. There's other ways that you can kind of gain that kind of instant community. But it requires an artistic experience that is long in duration, yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, so like uh, when I went to go see the Tony Kushner's Angels in America, you know, both parts on Broadway, you're in the same seats yeah. for both shows. There is a combined four intermissions. You know, you literally get to know the people around you mm-hmm. and what they do for a living. And, you know, are they in town for this? Have they ever <laughs> seen it before? You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm told the same was true of Taylor Mack's 24-decade history of popular music. I saw one of those single-day presentations of Elevator Repair Services GATS, mm. which for our listeners who don't know, is a performance of the full text of The Great Gatsby in which the entire text of The Great Gatsby is recited, among other things. It's an all-day endeavor. It's like seven hours long. There's meal breaks and, and all sorts of stuff. And not only did you get to know the people around you, but you run into people, you know. In fact, when I went to go see Gats at the Skirball Center, I ran into Forrest Wickman, Slate's own culture editor, Forrest Wickman, and his partner, Eleanor. And uh, we wound up having dinner and hanging out, and it was actually just like a grand old time. Oh, that is amazing. And it actually reminds me of the various times I did the complete ring in Seattle. That's about 15 hours together over the course of a week with lots of breaks. And you do connect with people, and you also learn who to avoid connecting with. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally relate to 
I'm not really as much of a movie person these days, in part because it's hard to access the kind of international cinema that was the focus of SIF. But I also think in a way that experience spoiled me. You know, I loved feeling supported in my enthusiasm. I'm pretty sure I would not have seen 50 movies in a month if I wasn't having regular conversations with people who were seeing more than 100. You know, mm-hmm. I certainly did not feel as much of a weirdo. Well, you know, as usual. Yeah, totally. I think that this is one way that social media can actually be really helpful. It can really be kind of like a boon is that, you know, if you find a like-minded group of people who are interested in an art form, you know, can really provoke. It creates a kind of mutual support. Like, oh, you like that thing? Check out this thing. Or, you know, oh, here's an interview with the director that I did or, you know, whatever it is. To give an example, the phrase film Twitter gives a lot of people hives. (laughs) But I've generally found that it's just a community of people who really love film. Many of them are critics. Some of them are curators or enthusiasts or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's a really wonderful, supportive community that just wants to encourage people to go deeper in their love of cinema. (laughs) And it's really helped me, you know, discover directors I would never have heard of or think about film in a different way because it's just an ongoing rolling conversation. Yeah, that's a really great point. It's not only about going to specific places. You can find this kind of immersion Mm -hmm. online. All right, let's take a short break, but we'll be back to talk about seeking out transcendence in art. Hey, listeners, it's uh, Isaac Butler here. Uh, Do you have any tips or questions about the creative process or, you know, advice you might need or advice you want to give or triumphs, failures, whatever? Well... Why don't you get in touch and share it with us? You can email us at workingatslate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a delicious voicemail at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK. All right, back to working overtime. Okay, we're back. One of the things that's appealing about a festival scenario is volume. You know, the more things you see or hear, the more likely you are to have that elusive, transcendent experience. You know, if one in every 20 plays or art shows or books is transformational, if you can see 20 over the course of the week, you're almost guaranteed transcendence, right? This is the most uh, June Thomas, I think, you know, I feel like all of your productivity stuff is coming to bear here, right? You're like, surveys show that one in 20 art pieces of art is transcendent. So if you see 20 shows and you do this and you graph it out here. Productivity, man. It's just basic. Yeah, exactly. It's just math, guys. (laughs) My feeling is one in 20 is probably a little high, Hmm. but who knows? Look, at this year's Under the Radar Festival in New York, and for people who aren't in New York, January to kind of early February is its own festival festival time because all the national and international producers and presenters come to New York for a conference. And so there's a bunch of overlapping performing arts festivals during that time. Jazz Fest, Prototype, which is an experimental opera festival under the radar, although under the radar is now on permanent hiatus. I was at Under the Radar. I saw three shows at Under the Radar. That's all I had time to do. One was terrible, one was boring, and one, this show called King Gilgamesh and the Man of the Wild, 
was incredible. It was beautiful. It was moving. It was funny. It was a totally unexpected treat. The music was great. It had charm out the wazoo. And let me just briefly say that if Ahmed, Monika, and Jesse Lavercombe, who created and performed the show, if they happen to be listening, please get in touch with us. I would love to have you on the show to talk about your creative process. But anyway, so it's just worth saying, you know, who knows what's going to happen? You know <laughs> what right, I mean? Right. I saw three shows. One was brilliant. You know, but like even if you see 20 shows that are bad, it's kind of like who cares? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I know there's a part of you that's going to be like, this is my one wild and precious life. But it's like you took a risk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes risks pan out. Sometimes they don't. And you just have to kind of chill out about that. Absolutely. I also think there's something very motivational in being surrounded by other people who also take art and creativity seriously. This is a little bit different from what we were saying before. I mean, these people might be the folks who are running from show to show so they can see multiple pieces a day, or they might be, you know, in Edinburgh at the Fringe, there are nearly 50,000 performers who are putting on shows. And, you know, there, there's there's a kind of respect that's, you know, involved in in making that kind of commitment that just feels very powerful to me. And maybe it feels especially powerful because I usually work alone. Yeah, totally. I mean, why would you go to the New York Film Festival if you don't like movies, right? Do you know what I mean? Go to the Fringe if you don't like live arts. The nice thing about these events is that if you go to them, you have one thing in common with literally 100% of the people there, which is that you like and are curious about the art form that the festival is about. Because otherwise, why would you waste your time and money? Do you know what I mean? You love, you're curious about it, whether it's theater, comedy, film, visual art, whatever. There is an instantaneous community that is there. You just have to be willing to tap into it. And the way you tap into it is just start talking to people. You know, I mean, like, that's easier for me to say because I'm the world's biggest extrovert. (laughs) But, you know, even if, you know, you saw something and you really liked it, you just turn to the person next to you and you're like, hey, was that great? Yeah. You know, boom, conversation. You know, so it's, it's, it's really quite wonderful. I have to say, too, that I have become aware that this kind of event Maybe not like a film festival, but certainly something like live performance. It also gives you some insight as an outsider into the kind of the making of this Mm -hmm. kind of art. You know, I've noticed, for example, that even if performers have come to Edinburgh on their own and they're doing a solo piece, they are constantly, you know, making connections, building community. For example, I, I've observed a lot of sort of informal exchanges along the lines of, oh, I'll take the donations at your show if you run tech for mine. You know, and and there's a yeah. real sense that they're all in this together, which is, is really touching somehow. Is that something you've experienced? Oh, yeah. I mean, in my experience at festivals, most people, not all, But most people are very helpful, they're very supportive, and they're all rooting for each other. You know, you're always going to get a few folks who have that kind of crabs in the pot, (laughs) you know, uh, scarcity means that I have to look out for number one and I have to turn every interaction into some antagonistic thing about dominance. You know, like that's going to happen. Those people are going to exist the great thing is then you go out to the bar afterwards and you complain about them <laughs> with the people from all the other shows because everyone else has to deal with them and they're assholes, right? right? But, you know, for the most part, there is this vibe of like, look, we're all in this thing together. This is difficult. We're not sleeping. We're not eating well. We're working around the clock. Maybe one person showed up to the show last night and that's it. And we had to do our whole show for one person. But we're all in this together. 
I will say as an author, you know, sometimes I get booked into much bigger things. Like I've done the Los Angeles Times Festival books a couple times or once I manned a booth at this very strange event in D.C. (laughs) where I just felt like I was a cow showing myself off at a steak eating convention (laughs) or something. But, you know, the thing that gets you through all of that is your colleagues. You know, they're all in the same boat. They're all feeling like a cow. You know, you buy each other's books. You talk to each other. You hang out. You maybe get a little meal if you can sneak one in or, or whatever it is. The great thing about doing the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books is the green room. That's actually the great thing. The green room is not a room. It's a whole building where they serve the food and stuff. And you just go there during the day and you'll run into people and you talk, oh, how was your panel? Oh, there was a crazy person on your panel. What'd they do? You know, and and that that community is actually really restorative, I think. Oh, amazing. We'll be back with more Festival Thoughts after a break. Hey, listeners, it is me again, Isaac Butler. I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And there's a great way that you can also help us find new listeners. If you are on Apple Podcasts, we'd love you to rate or review the show. It really does help. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend this episode to other people. Thanks. Okay, we're back. So the next thing really surprised me. Isaac, the first show that I saw at this year's Fringe was terrible. Normally, Mm. I would have come out of that show and just shredded it. But there was something about the festival setting, like the commitment to making art and the willingness to try things and the fact that the performers had put themselves out there and, and really probably sacrificed to get there kind of made me suspend my critical faculties. I mean, I was still aware of the show's many flaws, but I didn't want to focus on them, you know? Like, that seemed a bit Mm -hmm. mean. Like, I left the room thinking, okay, clever girl, you know, what would you do that would be better than that? What kind of show would you make on this topic? It was actually pretty generative. You know, I completely agree with and have had the experience of what you're talking about. And it is actually going to be the theme of our next episode of Working what? Overtime. So I know, I know you've inspired me. So you got to tune in for the sequel, <laughs> listeners. But no, I think those kinds of questions are super helpful. And if you can bring that practice outside of the festival setting, it can be really enriching. Yeah. I think an important thing to keep in mind is in most cases, when we're talking about particularly like the live arts or, you know, the nonprofit art world, people are working hard to make the best thing they can. Yeah. Yeah. They might end up making something that sucks. Yeah. That's fine, right? Like, I'm not saying you can't admit that it sucks. It probably sucks. (laughs) But very, very few people enter the creative act for, like, purely cynical reasons, particularly when we're talking about literary fiction or or theater or whatever, because that stuff doesn't pay well to begin with, you know? People aren't going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with some random piece of shit and going, (laughs) hey, let's throw this against the wall and see if someone will transfer it to the West End. No one does that. They're bringing stuff that they care about and they're spending a lot of money taking time away from their families, putting a lot of effort into doing it. And they wouldn't do that if they didn't think the work was good and if it wasn't something they wanted to share with the world. Now, this does not mean that you can't criticize it. Bad art should be criticized. I'm just saying... Can we be open hearted and generous within that 
to try not to view it cynically yeah. because they didn't enter into it cynically. Oh, you know what I mean? I absolutely do. And I'm so glad you said that because I do sometimes feel myself kind of taking on the persona of the critic, you know, almost mm-hmm. performatively looking to find fault with things. Even often I recognize things that I truly do not really understand a lot about myself, you know, and that is cynical too, you know, and you're right that at a festival, it's easier perhaps to remember that what we're seeing are labors of love, you know, that people have sacrificed and struggled to make the art that we get to experience and maybe make fun of. But that's actually pretty much true always in small-scale indie productions. So, you know, that is not just something to think about just in that particular setting. I also want to say before we leave that Obviously, I realize that our listeners live all over the world and there may not be a big festival where where you live, listener, but there are ways to treat whatever is in your hometown as a festival in the way that we've been describing. Go to two movies in one day. Do the Barbieheimer, you know, that's that's kind of a mini festival. Go to the reading that the local library has organized and ask questions of the author, just as if you were at a book fair. Talk to the other people who have gone to that library event about whatever it was that drew them to attend. You know, go to whatever kinds of events are available to you with a spirit of openness and appreciation and be open to other people's experiences and be ready to be transformed by them. You know, you can take a festival approach to all kinds of cultural events. Yeah, I will say, I think one of the things the death of the Alt-Weekly has unfortunately done is make it harder to know culturally what's going on locally, right? It used to be if there was an Alt-Weekly in your town, you just flip to it and there'd be listings for all sorts of stuff. Outside of big cities, those can be harder to find. But I will say, once you have the kind of like infrastructure set up for finding out what's going on in your area, it gets easier. You only kind of have to do it once. So to give an example, here in New York City, if you want to know what's going on in rep screenings in movies, you just go to Screen Slate and Screen Slate will actually show you every listing of every rep screening that's going on in New York City. And once you know that, then you just know to go there. Yeah. So it might take a little work the first time, but don't don't get discouraged. Once you figure out how to get that information, you can start sort of programming your own ad hoc festival of creative delights. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I have been having that struggle of like, where do I find, like, do I read the, the morning paper? You know, like, yeah. and I have been reading the morning paper, but it actually hasn't been giving me that kind of information because you know, places don't have the money to advertise anymore. And that's one great thing about festivals is you get these big fat books that have all the schedule in them. And they're too much often. There's too many things going on often. And, and it's a little bit overwhelming. But that's a nice problem when you're used to not knowing what's going on. Yeah, totally. All right. That's all the time we have for this episode. But let me leave you listeners with one last piece of advice. I think you should subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have ideas for things we could do better or questions you'd like us to address, we really would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at working at slate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. If you'd like to support what we do, please sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. You'll get bonus content, including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll be supporting what we do right here on Working. Thanks, as always, to Kevin Bendis and to our series producer, Cameron Drews, who make every episode a festival. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Working, and in two weeks, we'll have another Working Overtime. Until then, get back to work. 
Thank you.